Patsy Weber, some good memories. My wife thinks I'm trapped in the 80s. And I say, where else do I want to be? I mean, it was some good times, some happy days, something that we all want, right? Not just the 80s TV show. It's not just written on the Declaration of Independence. It's written on our hearts. We all want to live lives of happiness and joy and contentment. And the Apostle Paul made this astonishing game in the book of Philippians, this book of joy that we've been celebrating over the last few weeks. He said, I found it. I found the source of joy. I found the place of happiness. I don't just pursue happiness. I found it. I found this joy in, in, in Philippians 4.12. Paul writes this, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. And every and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I've learned to be content. Contentment is the Greek word autarkia, and it means to be happy, to be happy with what one has, to have enough, to not want or need more. It's this, character, it's this life characterized by joy and peace and happiness. And over the last several weeks that we've been studying the book of Philippians, we've been learning these principles, these truths that relate to living a life of happiness. And I just want to rattle through a couple for you. The first one that we learned is that happiness is possible. We can all learn to be happy. Whether we've lived a happy life before or we're not quite sure if we're happy today, we can all learn how to live a life of happiness. It's possible. We can all be happy. Happiness is also rare. It's a secret. It's hard to find. Not everyone we know is living a life of happiness. It may require some searching in places that we have never looked before. Happiness is possible, but happiness is also rare. Third, we found out that happiness is not found in external things. It's not living a life of plenty. It's not being well-fed. It's not in external circumstances. True happiness is not about my circumstances. It's how I think about my circumstances. It's how I view my circumstances. That's why Paul in Philippians 4 says, think about such things. Think differently about your circumstances. Happiness is possible. Happiness is rare. Happiness is not found in external things. And last week we learned that happiness is the result of pursuing someone else. It's always the byproduct of pursuing something else. You'll never find happiness directly. It's always the byproduct of pursuing someone else. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians 4, he says, I pursue I, I run after, I forget what is behind, and I strain towards what is ahead, and that's knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's the pursuit of happiness. I pour all of my energy, all of my passion towards one thing, knowing Jesus. See, if we pursue happiness over Christ, we lose both. But if we, if we pursue Christ over happiness, we gain both. We've been learning these wonderful truths, these wonderful principles, not just to pursue, but to experience a life of happiness now, here, 
today, and if I were to summarize the book of Philippians, summarize this series, I would reflect on these these two verses, Philippians 4.12 and 13. And in verse 12, we've already read it. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then Paul writes this. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. My worth and value is not dependent upon what I do, but what Christ has done for me. And that's a source of joy. It's a source of strength. It enables me to do everything through him who gives me strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength and my song. I have this inner sense of joy and contentment and power to face whatever circumstance I find myself in. Paul writes these wonderful truths related to happiness and joy and contentment. And we've been studying this book of Philippians over the last few weeks, and we're going to wrap up our series this morning by dialing into this Philippians 4, 12, 13, 14, and following. But before we enter into the text, you might be wondering why these apples are here on the stage. And, and um, anybody like apples here? Anybody? You got, we got some, wow, we got a whole bunch of apple fans here. So here's an apple. Here's an apple. Whoa, fumble. We got one. Anybody apple fans over here? Okay. Okay. I'll just do a little toss over here. There we go. There we go. So, uh, so, oh, I see that up there. I'm sorry. Balcony's closed. Okay, so, um, so we're going to read a story about apples. And you may have heard this story. It's one of my favorite stories. Remember, our preschool children smile 400 times in a day compared to adults, who's about 15. So they have been reading other books. You know, there's things that they know that make them smile. And this is a book about apples, but it's also a wonderful principle that Paul teaches us about the path of happiness. So I'm just going to read this book. I hope you enjoy it. I've uh, read it to my children many times. And as you know, it's by Shel Silverstein, and it is, goes like this. Once there was a tree, and she loved a little boy. And every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. And he would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples. And they would play hide-and-go-seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. The boy loved the tree very much. And the tree happy. But time went by and the boy grew older and the tree was often alone. And then one day the boy came to the tree and said to, and the tree said to him, come boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples, play in my shade, be happy. I'm too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want some money. Can you give me some money? Sorry, said the tree, I have no money. I only have leaves and apples. Take my apples, boy, sell them in the city. Then you'll have money. Then you'll be happy. So the boy climbed up the tree and he gathered her apples and carried them away. And the tree was happy. But the boy 
stayed away for a long time, and the tree was sad. And then one day the boy came back, and the tree shook with joy. And she said, come, boy, climb up my trunk and swing for my branches and be happy. I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm. I want a wife. I want children. So I need a house. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house. But if you cut off my branches and build a house, then you will be happy. So the boy cut off the branches and carried them away to build his house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy she could hardly speak. Come, boy, she whispered. Come and play. I'm too old and sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and be happy. And so she, the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away. And the tree was happy, but not really. And after a long time, the boy came back. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree. I have nothing left to give you. My apples are all gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I'm too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I'm sorry, sighed the tree. I wish I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump. I'm sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I'm very tired. Well said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down. Sit down and rest. Boy did. And the tree was happy. The tree was happy. The boy was not. The boy pursued a lot of stuff. The boy gathered up apples. He built a house and a boat. He gathered much and was empty. The tree gave much and was happy. That's what Paul teaches in the Philippians. That's the principle that Paul wants us to get this morning as we conclude our series on the book of Philippians, that a life of joy and contentment is not how many apples you have, how many you give away? See, after Paul writes down, I have learned the secret of contentment. After Paul writes, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He writes down these words in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. If you have your Bibles, love for you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, page 1164 in your pew Bibles. The words will also be on the screen. If you remember, Paul's in prison. He's awaiting his execution. The Philippians are discouraged. They're in tough economic times, also in persecution. And so Paul writes them a letter of hope and encouragement. And these are the final words of Paul to the Philippians. Some final truths about living a life of joy and happiness. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14... Paul writes the following words to the believers in Philippi, principles for us to learn this morning. Yet, 
Paul writes, it was good of you to share in my troubles. After you can do all things through Christ, who gives me strength. Paul writes this, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Paul basically says, thank you. I was in trouble. I was going through a difficult financial time. I didn't know how I was going to make ends meet. And you gave me a gift. Thank you for providing for my needs. Verse 15, moreover, as you Philippians know... In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. You are the only ones to give. Remember, Paul is this missionary sharing the gospel throughout the the Asian world. And and he, he says, you are the only ones to give. You took a risk. You provided for my needs when nobody else would. And you didn't just give one gift. You gave again and again And again, verse 16, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. See, you Philippians, you know something. You know the pursuit of happiness. You know the secret of happiness. You know the joy of giving. You were the first ones to give. And you didn't just give one time. You gave again and again. And now the gospel is spread all over the world because of the gifts that you gave to Philippians. You get it. You understand this principle of happiness. You understand the words of Jesus. That is better to give than it is to receive. You've experienced the joy of giving. You know, Philippians, that if you just gather up your apples and you just keep them for yourself, you'll live a life of misery. But if you give your apples away, you'll live a life of joy. Do you remember how Paul describes the Philippians in 2 Corinthians? Paul Paul writes this beautiful description of the Philippians in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. You can turn there if you want, but the words will also be on the screen. Paul's writing to the Corinthians about the church, the the Christians that are suffering in Jerusalem. There's a severe famine. So he's writing them to to raise some money to respond to their needs. It's probably the first international famine relief movement because it's crossing cultural and uh, country boundaries. And, And so Paul writes this letter, and he uses the Philippians, this Macedonian churches, as an example of a life of generosity because they get it. They know where joy rests in this life of generosity. Paul writes this about the, the Philippians in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God gave the Macedonian churches, this church in Philippi, out of the most severe trial, they're overflowing. What's that word there? Joy. Joy, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. These are words that we don't often see together in the same sentence. Poverty and joy. You know, challenges, extreme poverty, rich generosity, severe trial, overflowing joy. God was doing an amazing work in the believers in Philippi. And so Paul testifies. He, he tells others about these Philippians in verse 3 he says for I testify that they gave as much as they were able even beyond their ability entirely on their own they gave beyond their ability meaning they gave what other people thought they needed 
But they came to the conclusion they don't really need the things that other people need. In fact, they probably gave up something good to participate in something great. And in verse 4, they said, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They begged us. They, 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 they pulled on us. They, they, they pleaded with us for the privilege, not the obligation, not the duty, but the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints, of this privilege of caring for those that are suffering in Jerusalem, going through a very severe famine, the privilege of sharing, and they begged, they pleaded, they, they, they wanted more than anything else to participate in this work of God. I believe there are three core needs in every human heart. There are three core longings that all of us have. Our first longing is, is a longing to be loved. It's a longing to be loved with a love that can never be earned, therefore it can never be lost. It's a, it's a love that comes from God through Christ. It's our primary core longing to be loved and accepted by our Heavenly Father. We have a second longing, a separate core need, and that is a longing to be loved. To be in the context of community, to have a family, to, to have a spouse, to be in a church community, to be known and know other people. But our third core longing is this longing to participate in something beyond us. To participate in something great that will last the less of time, that puts meaning to the mundane things of life, that what I'm doing will last beyond me. And the Philippians tapped into this longing, this desire to participate in something bigger than themselves. So they begged, they pleaded. They, they, they grabbed onto Paul and said, please let us participate in this service to the saints. And Paul affirmed them. Paul admired them. Paul says, you already know the joy of giving. You're living it out. He appreciated them. And, in, and back in, in Philippians chapter 4, he says, thank you. Thank you for giving to my needs. And thank you for living a life of radical generosity. Philippians 4, 17, Paul continues, he says this, and not that I'm looking for a gift. He says, I'm not looking for another gift. Actually, this has nothing to do with me. This is actually about you. And he says this, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. See, this generosity, this giving of yourself for the sake of others. It's not necessarily about the receivers. It's about the givers. There's something that you will receive as you give to the sake of others. It may be credited to your account. Now, that may sound a little bit strange. I mean, it's a little bit odd to picture some bank account in heaven where we can make deposits and withdrawals. And I must admit, it's a little bit hard for me to understand, but it's a truth that we find throughout scriptures. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew? Jesus said it this way, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven or treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But rather, instead of just collecting apples, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, the things that we do on earth with our money, with our time, with our treasures impact what life will be like, the treasures, the rewards that we will receive in heaven. Our present giving results in future reward. And I don't completely understand that, but I see the principle throughout 
scriptures, although we cannot take our worldly wealth with us, we can send it ahead of us. We can invest in our heavenly home, how we live our lives and give our resources here on earth, our present giving results in future rewards. Now, to be clear, this is not works-based righteousness. This is not what I do to earn my way into God's good graces. It's not me giving so God will give back to me. That's not what it is. Paul deemed that worthless, less than worthless. He says that, that that's not what this. This is an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. This is the life of worship because Paul continues, verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphrodite the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is your act of worship. Because God sent his son to live the life you couldn't live, to die the death you deserve to die, in response to the gospel, we give. It's an act of obedience. It's not duty, obligation, but worship. He gave his life. We respond. We participate in the family business. And in substance, Paul is simply saying this. You can gather up your apples You can keep them all to yourself. You can build your house. You can build your boat. You can keep your stuff and live a life of misery. Or you can give your apples away. You can provide for the needs of others. You can experience joy both here and now and in the future. Receive a reward. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that powerful? Collect your apples or give them away. Experience both joy now and there's this future reward that you will experience In heaven. That's the teaching. That's a a principle that Paul teaches the Philippians that we received this morning, but he's not done yet. He continues, verse 19 and 20. He says this, And my God, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Not just some of your needs. He says, my God, the God of the creator, the, the redeemer, my God will meet all your needs. To, the, to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, to God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, my God will meet your needs. As you step out of faith and, and minister and give to the needs of others, my God will meet all your needs. He's not going to leave you hanging. He knows what's in your pocketbook. He knows the struggles that you face financially. He's aware of the challenges that you face, and he's not going to leave you hang and my God will meet all your needs. See, sometimes, sometimes we don't give sacrificially to the needs of others, even though we know that there's this future joy and this present joy. We don't give sacrificially to the needs of others because we don't think our needs will be met. Isn't that true? We don't think our needs will be met that we will lose something and we don't move out in generosity because we're afraid. Because we're afraid that our needs won't be met and we live lives of fear instead of faith because we don't think that God will meet our needs according to the glorious riches of Christ. And we hold on to our apples and we build our houses and we build our boats And we forget 
to remember that the tree was happy, but the boy was not. That happiness is not simply getting your own needs met, it's meeting the needs of others. And that's the definition of contentment. Did you know that? that that's the definition of this Greek word, artarkia. It means happiness. It means happy with what one has, having enough and having more than enough to give to the needs of others. Paul uses the same word, artarkia, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, the same passage that Paul referenced uh, in, in collecting this financial gift for those suffering in Jerusalem. He, he uses the same word, artarkia, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Verse 8, he says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, artarkia, having all you need, being content with what you have, being happy with what you have, you will abound in every good work. You will have what you need, and you will abound in every good work. See, you are blessed to be a blessing. God always works in you on his way to somebody else. And true joy, true happiness, true contentment is not just collecting our apples. It's giving them away. It's supplying the needs of others. It's realizing that we can participate in something great, something that lasts the test of time. That's joy. That's contentment. That's abounding in every good work. See, as you give to others, expect God to give to you and meet your needs. As you step out in faith, overcoming fear that your needs won't be met, expect God to meet your needs according to the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. This is the way of faith. This is what it means to follow Jesus. As we put our faith in God to meet our needs, we can step out and meet the needs of others. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can live a life of contentment. I can respond to the needs of others. I can trust God enough to supply my needs and minister to the needs of others. I can do this. And it's not just Paul and it's not just the Philippians. We today can live a life of contentment. We can live a life of happiness by blessing others, not just collecting our apples, but giving them away. Over the last few months, we've been seeking to meet the needs of those living in poverty, not in Jerusalem, but in Africa. We've been going through a, a, a campaign to end extreme poverty. And I know that's a big and bold statement, but we believe that we can do something great on behalf of God. So over the last few months, we've been praying and thinking and fasting, and we've been giving our resources to do something significant for the poor in Africa. And in January, Bill Hayes and our church chair went to Africa to do a little investigation. We, we, we wanted to see and hear stories about those living in poverty. And we wanted to come alongside some of the churches there and see what we could do to end poverty. So we went on this trip in January, and I just wanted to share just a, a brief video. It's about three minutes long about some of the stories that we heard so that you can too 
participate in this work that God is doing to provide for those suffering in Africa. It's a three-minute video. I mean, it's a nine-minute video. It's on our website. You can see it in its entirety there. But this morning, I just want to show you the first three minutes. billion people live on less than $1.25 a day. 880 million people do not have access to clean water. 22,000 children die every day of preventable diseases. The statistics related to poverty are overwhelming, often heartbreaking. But poverty is more than a statistic. Poverty now has a name. Poverty has a name and her name is Pamela. Pamela lives in the slum of Nairobi called Kibera, a community of about 800,000 people. She lives in a small mud brick home at the bottom of a hill. The hill is really a, a garbage dump. The sewage lines go right across her home and it just smells of garbage. There's a huge pile of garbage just outside her home. And she lives in this small one-room home with her four children and one adopted son. She lost her husband to AIDS and she herself is infected with HIV AIDS. She goes out every day to try to find income for her family. She works in the garden or as a house helper to try to provide for the needs of her children. See, poverty has a name and her name is Pamela. Poverty has a name. Her name is Charlene. Charlene is an 18-month girl that I held in my hand, half naked, just a shirt with no pants. And she sat on my lap and I heard her story. Her mother's about 21 years old with a third grade education. Her grandmother is a teacher in the local school. They make less than a dollar a day and there's about 20 people in Charlene's home. And Charlene is significantly malnourished. Her stomach is extended, her hair is discolored, she needs nutrition for her body to grow and if she's lucky enough to get past age five, maybe she'll grow up to get a third grade education by the time she's 21. But many of the children, about a third of the children in her region will not make it to age five. See, poverty has a name. Her name is Charlene. Poverty has a name. His name is Bai. Bai did what we would expect him to do, what we would want him to do. He graduated from high school, went on to Bible college, graduated from the Bible college, and now is an instructor at the school. In addition to being a local pastor where the offering is about $2 a week, of which he gets a small percentage. The local Bible college can hardly pay his income and he's forced to work in the garden to provide for his three children and his wife. See, poverty has a name.
poverty has a name, and I heard those stories firsthand as we were traveling through Africa, and I would write them down in my journal, and my heart would just break for the needs of those that are suffering, that don't have enough to eat or can't get an education, or don't have the resources that have been entrusted to us. And as we learned that poverty has a name, we also learned that poverty has a solution. And it's us. It's the church. We have been commanded and called by God to do something. We can do something. In fact, we can do everything through Christ who gives us strength. We can live a life of contentment, not just caring for our own needs, but meeting the needs of others. We can share our apples. We can respond to the needs of the poor. And many of you are. Many of you have made commitments to give up chewing gum or soda pop or you've given up coffee or you're not riding your car as as much and and you're giving up something good to participate in something great. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for responding to the needs of those that are suffering. Children that we saw on the screen are going to have a chance to get something to eat or have a chance to go to school or are going to have a chance to, to get ahead because of your generosity. And if you're here this morning and your life isn't all that meaningful, if you, if you haven't tapped into that core need to participate in something great, maybe God's word to you this morning is do something. Not out of obligation, not out of guilt, but in response to what Christ has done for you, do something. Sacrifice something good that you think you need for something great. Do something. Follow the pursuit of happiness. Give your apples away. And don't feel that you have to do something just to end extreme poverty. You can do anything. I mean, there's a lot of ways for you to do something to help others. You can go to the Dominican Republic. You know, if you remember last week, David Griffith was up here and he's talking about the joy that he felt in, in helping other people. He took a week, actually he took many weeks, but this is just a week in June where you can go to, 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 to get your hands dirty and help those in need. You can mentor a child. We just started this mentoring ministry a couple of months ago. And, and, and every time I talk to someone that's mentoring a child, they just light up. I mean, there's just this joy. There's this privilege of coming along someone and loving them and walking with them. There's this joy of mentoring a child. You can volunteer in our children's ministry. As we said earlier, our children laugh a lot. You know, They smile 40 time, 400 times in a day. And we have needs right here in the church where you can love and minister to our children. You can go someplace. You can do something. You can reach out to a neighbor or a friend or a fellow student. You can give up something good to participate in something great. You can live a life of contentment. You don't have to just keep your apples and be miserable. You can choose to live a life of contentment and joy. See, this is the pursuit of happiness. This is the way of Jesus. We are blessed to be a blessing. He always works in us on his way to someone else. The way up is down. The way to have much is to give your stuff away. The way to be rich is to, is to give your riches away. The way to live a life that's truly life is to die to self. This is the way of joy and happiness. This is the way 
of Jesus. And as the band comes up here, I just want to lead us in a time of prayer, close our time in prayer, and specifically this desire that we all have to live a life of happiness. Let us pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you so much for all the apples that you've entrusted to us. You've given us your one and only son, uh, the most priceless gift. You've given us health. You've given us family, friends, clothes, home, cars, so many blessings poured out on us. May we learn the secret of contentment. May we not just gather up our apples, but may you do a work inside of us to give our apples away. And may you even speak to us now, Lord, about a person or about an experience or about something else that we might be able to do for the sake of others. This is our prayer, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your gift to us. We thank you for your word and the instructions in it. And we ask that now we could live them out for your glory, for our joy, for the sake of your world. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.